All right, troops, this is an important day, big day. Now, you may look around and see two groups here, white collar, blue collar, but I don't see it that way, and you know why not? Because I am collar blind. Welcome to this week's episode of Say What You Mean. I'm Jeff. And I'm Jake. It's been a while, Jake. Yeah, it's been a whole like 10 minutes. <laughs> we haven't even gotten up from the table. We haven't gotten up from the table. Oh, did you need a potty break? No, I'm good. Okay, we're good to go. <laughs> um, locked in, locked and ready for another episode. Yes, I hope you guys are ready. Um, last week, we talked a lot about television shows. Yeah. Um, you had some great stories from work. I appreciated those. Um but uh, th- we, you had two articles that you sent me um, that I think are interesting and, and that we need to discuss. But mm-hmm. first, um, I just wanted to. We, I know, I know there are those who don't like basketball, but we love it. So we're gonna talk it. Okay. All right. Let's do it. Throws to Lillard. A three for the game. You gotta pinch me. I must be dreaming. Blake now throws to Roy. Brandon, a three pointer out front. Man, there's just nothing like <laughs> being in the Moda Center when people are chanting that and you just feel like the team is just like going on a run and they're going to cinch it and get whatever win in the game they're right. playing. But just, oh, it's so, fr- I just was thinking about the, the, where, the where? Just in the Moda, Rose Garden. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. Uh, dude, so it, technically you're listening to this. You're. We're two weeks removed, but mm-hmm. we're only one week removed while we're recording this. Um, oh, boy. Not the way we thought the season was going to end. It's 100% the way I thought it was going to end. You thought it was going to end in a sweep? No, but we're not going to go to the finals this year, Jake. No, <laughs> but you have 15. the Warriors. You have 15-point-plus leads in three straight games, and you don't win a single one of them. Yeah. That's disappointing, but... That's, that's Okay. You know what? In totality, being two weeks removed, yeah, um, from the from the from you, the way the season ended, you still feel the sting. I know you do. Well, <laughs> actually, I nope. not as much as I thought I would. I really, um, being able to step away and being okay, well, the season's over, yeah. and just in just appreciating how fun this team was to watch. And I think when you're a, you're a when you're a fan of a small market team like that, you have mm-hmm. to cherish these these seasons because they don't come along all that often. Right. You have to go through painful rebuild decades right. to get to a team that looks like this. Right. And with all of the adversity to get to where they got to, it's pretty impressive. It and is impressive. I and I, I I love this. I love this team. Yeah. Um so right after the season ended, they did um the exit interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, did you watch any of those? I watched Dames. Okay. You should watch some of the other ones. Okay. Pretty interesting. Really? What's your take on them? Uh, there's tones of people who don't really care to be here in the future. Really? Mm. From who? Hood seemed a little weird. Did he? Yeah. Um, Aminu seemed like I want Portland to make the offer. Mm-hmm. Um, Ennis is I will do almost anything to stay here. Okay. 
that is not shocking to me. Right. Aminu not sure if he's going to get the offer. Right. Cause but, but not even sure, not even not sure, but like if somebody else gives it, then I'm out. Mm-hmm. Kind of feel. Yeah. I think Hood liked his time here. Yeah. I think he was frustrated by not being given a starting role, which I thought he earned. Oh. Oh. Well, in even though he played starter minutes, he played right. 40 minutes in the last game. Did he? Yeah. Yeah. With OT. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we didn't get all of the lineup changes in those last two games, but starting Myers was was the right move offensively. Yeah, dude, His defense is atrocious. No, he did great. He Everyone did, says that he did great. That rim protection was awful. Okay, but it, but, but he, he wasn't helped by right. his guards. Yes, yes. But every shot Curry shot over him in Game Two mm-hmm. was off. Every single one. If Myers, if go back and watch it, okay. when Myers is defending him. He affected the shot every single time. And every time Myers was like going out on him, Steph missed. Yeah, but unfor- yeah, unfortunately for him to further your point. Yeah. He didn't he would commit to the to the guy who yes. is who the to the guy who's who to the ball handler. Yep. And nobody would pick up the cut the backside nope. cutter. Nope. Yeah. A lot of dunks. <laughs> a lot of a lot of straight line drives yep. to the rim. Yeah. Um which put Collins and foul. Which put yes. Collins in bad positions yeah. where he was constantly having to pick up fouls because he had nowhere to go. He was caught in no man's land right. and had to be either like commit to the to the um, either commit to the dribbler mm-hmm. or have to back off and try to play for the pass. Right. But just got him into positions where he wasn't set and had yeah. to foul. Yeah. Warriors, man. I was I wrong that they were they're harder to defend without no. Kevin Durant. No. The ball movement, the off the ball movement, that team is incredible, man. They're ha- and it's awful because it looks like they're having fun again. Yes. Yeah, looks like they're having fun for the first time since KD came over. Yeah, which is scary for I anybody agree. who has to play for them. Yeah, play against them. Yeah, yeah, they're winning it again. Yeah, they're Tor- winning Toronto it again. and in Milwaukee just don't have that depth. No, think about this. Twenty years ago, if you were to tell 10, 15 years ago. You're gonna tell uh what was it? David Stern? Yeah. The old the old commissioner, yeah. Yeah. Telling him that the final four teams were Blazers, Warriors, Bucks, and Raptors. You would have never allowed it. Hell no. Isn't that weird though? Those mm-hmm. are the final four teams. And you're like, Oh, um, in two thousand nineteen the final four will be Blazers, Warriors, Bucks, and Raptors. Because Golden State four fifteen years ago was awful. Right. It looked like they were never gonna be able to pull themselves out of just right bad basketball i just love it i love it i love it there was an interesting conversation i heard between two sports guys the other mm-hmm. day and they were saying is there a better team mm-hmm. that has drafted their core in the nba better than, than, warriors? than the warriors Oof. i don't know because don't all so. of those guys are yeah are draftees except for kevin durant right that's a good point but like even kevin looney and yeah. mckinney and these these role players for yep. them it's just it's always frustrating because it looked like Portland role players folded in the moment on any given night. The whereas, end of game four, whereas, they looked scared. Whereas with the Warriors, maybe just because they're playing with confidence. Clay, they're playing with oh, confidence because yeah. who they're playing right, with. Right, They're not asked to do anywhere near as much right. as say as a Harkless and Aminu are. Yeah, for the point. team to win. But it always seems like those guys, like Looney, even in the finals last year, had big moments mm-hmm. has had big moments in these playoffs right has had huge moments in this last series and he never sh- it seems like he never their ele- their role players are elevated consistently they're always playing well right whereas portland i think has better role players and portland's bench was clearly better than mm-hmm. on paper clearly right. better than right. what golden state's bench was but they didn't play like it no no um but like i told you before i'm trying to just enjoy the positives that i'm seeing um i don't i think myers might be gone dude thinking he'd be traded i don't think i don't know it'll be interesting but i think he might be gone just the way that terry and neil were kind of talking it, it, they're gonna cut him and I, just eat the 10 mil I, I don't know or trade him i mean if you can trade him yeah great they need cap relief yeah they were just like you know how do, what do you think about myers what do you think what do you have planned for him next year and then terry's first sentence was well i don't know what the roster is going to look like next year 
Well, yeah, he's got to say that. I know he does, but it's just, I don't know. Myers, I have a man crush on Myers. Um, wow. Just fucking on fire. It's interesting because CJ looked like a complete bust until he had that Memphis series. Yes. Where the Blazers were out of it. They were down like, they were down 2-0 yeah. and they came back home and then basically it just, they're getting blown out in game three mm-hmm. and he just comes in and him and Myers had phenomenal series. Mm-hmm. And then both the, tra- the trajectories of both of their career went differently. Mm-hmm. CJ was propelled into the starting lineup has become a borderline all-star player. Mm-hmm. Myers Leonard went into obscurity. Yeah. But I almost wonder if this moment for Myers was CJ's moment in that Memphis right. series where now this could potentially be the new norm. Obviously not 25 a night, right. but giving you that double-double type mm-hmm. stretch the floor can consistently hit open threes for you. If that becomes the new norm for him, like this was the confidence pillar that he needed because it's always been a confidence it thing with him. It always has been. He even said that in his exit interview. He said that there was a... He said last... Because it was, it was right after mm-hmm. the game. He's like, last night was just... I've come a long way. He said that he was like, whenever he would drive up to the arena, would have like anxiety and depression because of every, all the talk about him and how yeah. terrible he I, was. That was. And a lot of that was really unfair. Dude, can you imagine though? Like you're going to work every day and thousands of people are shitting on you. It's one thing to hate a guy because he shows up to the, like he shows up fat like Raymond Felton. Yeah. <coughs> Or a guy like Travis Outlaw, who's drafted pretty high and did nothing to ever advance his game. Mm-hmm. He just got his paycheck and showed up to play. Mm-hmm. Myers Leonard works his ass off mm-hmm. to get better. And he just, because it doesn't come out on the floor the right. way that you would hope that it would, mm-hmm. there's frustration with that. You can have frustration as a right. fan base. But to to shit on the guy as an individual, as a right. person, because you're unhappy with his play on the mm-hmm. floor, even though he's working, he's trying to be better. Right. It's not his I mean, it's not necessarily his fault that he's he wasn't good. Right. And meant that's it's un that's it was unfair. The mental unfair. part of the game is so important. And when he started hitting on game four, he was hitting. And the crowd's chanting his name and like it was just it was a good it was a great thing for me to see because I don't know. I just, I know how hard it, I can imagine how hard it would have been to go through all that mm-hmm. and to, to just like, you know, constantly try and just be like, nope, you suck. Get rid of him. You know what I mean? Yeah. And everybody said that even after the uh, Pelicans, um, sweet trade CJ, break it up. It's not going to work. It'll never work. You know? And we went to the Western conference finals. Yeah. And if our big band's healthy, I think it's a different series. Yeah. I'm not saying we win, but it's probably definitely more, way more competitive. I think so too. We don't blow three 15 point leads in a row right they were playing pretty small against us too and we were playing small against them but if you play nurk they don't have a big who can match nurk no bogey can't match nurk no and nobody <laughs> in nurk is one of those bigs that makes you have to play big yes exactly my point yeah, yeah. and they don't have the means to do that um but i don't know it was an awesome season one thing i wanted to tell you is uh this guy from high school, this is why I avoid being friends with people on on, <laughs> uh, on social media from high school, but I posted that really like kind of heartfelt like sequence of pictures from the season, mm-hmm. mostly from the playoffs. Yeah. Um, and I was like, so much fun. I love this team. I love the sport. I can't wait to, wait to watch it all again next season. Saw that. I liked it. So this guy comments just a trash can and then a trash can emoji and then the emoji of someone throwing trash away. <laughs> And I just said, "Okay, dude. Champion chasers are trash." Is he a Golden State fan I, or something? I don't, I'm assuming he's a Lakers fan or something, right? Oh, because they've been know. so relevant. I don't even know. And he was like, like holding his nose emoji, crying, laughing emoji. They'll always be the fail blazers. Lillard needs to go. One hundred throwing trash away emoji. Throwing trash yeah, away. Except emoji. he just signed a supermax con- a contract extension, right? So he's throwing going trash anywhere. away emoji. And I was like. That's okay with me. I said, I'll always be loyal. And yeah, you have that track on repeat. I've seen him on all platforms with other friends from school that I'm friends with Mm -hmm. in the comments saying, trade Lillard, trade Lillard, trade Lillard. So I'm like, that track's on repeat, bro. Like I said, Lillard isn't going anywhere. Best team since 2000 and their all-star point guard has to go. I said, this isn't your lane. (laughs) It's truly not. If you can't. Yes, Lillard had 
difficulties. Dude, he was... But he was seeing oh. double teams at 35 feet. Oh, my feet gosh. Every single time he crossed midcourt. Does, is there criticism for certain things? Yes, but he can't help it if Aminu and Harkless aren't flashing to the middle where the double team came out of. Not even just them, if nobody's helping. What happened in game four when Myers was helping mm-hmm. and draining threes? Dame got going yeah. because they had they couldn't double mm-hmm. because they had to give Myers attention also. Yeah, it's which not, is what Nurk allows. Yes, Nurk allows you to not be able to double Dame. Yes, yeah, hundred percent. And people don't understand that. Just that first of all, that negativity on my post of my sentimental post about this team that I am passionate about and mm-hmm. care about. Get the fuck out of here. Why? Why are you yeah. bringing that negativity shit? Like, if you don't like the Blazers, cool. You can sit. <laughs> you can sit in your chair. For 20 years and say I hate the Blazers and then call me 20 years from now and say, hey, I hate the Blazers. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, what's the point? I don't get it. Get the fuck out of here with that shit. And just all these, just the like, there have been some savage memes directed 100% at Damian Lillard. And it's like, Dame had a great point in his exit interview. He said, uh, or it was postgame, one of the two. But he was like, if I didn't do so well in the first round, I probably wouldn't have saw as much attention as I did in round two and three. He's not getting... People aren't doing what Paul George did to him if he doesn't hit that shot. Right. Right? Because now every time he's holding the ball up top, they're right in his grill. Because they know he can do it. Yeah. It's so stupid. So which means someone needs to help him. Go help him. Yes. Aminu and Harkless just standing on the wings and not moving. Not moving. Dude, I watched this this clip of Steph moving off the ball. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he has the energy, man. Just go, 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 catch, pass, go, 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 catch, pass, go, 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 because he has other guys that can facilitate the offense when he's not, he doesn't have to be always the number one ball handler. Right. Exactly. Exactly. One thing, one last thing I will say about the Warriors is Draymond Green is freaking phenomenal. Yeah. I don't care if he's making shots or not. He is so smart when he comes to the game. Mm-hmm. So smart. The way he just picked it. He just surgically yeah. picked our team apart. To that point, he's his, when he's got the ball baseline, ex, like a free throw line extended, yeah. and he's facilitating the offense from that mm-hmm. point, dude, he always finds the open shooter. Always. It's, it's insane. Yeah. He's good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, they they Dame got an extension. Prime time. Make it count. Yeah. This is prime Dame. We gotta make it count. Uh, and Terry got an extension. I think they're both gonna learn from this sweep. I made a point with my friend Matt mm-hmm. Glendening that the Blazers can go one of two ways with yeah. this. They can either say, "Hey, look what we did. We accomplished more than our goals," and then rest on their laurels and have another um, like 2016 season, whatever that season mm-hmm. was. Where they remember the year they beat the Clippers in the first round. Yeah, they got to the second round and got. I think uh, beaten five by Golden State, but mm-hmm. they gave it was comp- it was a more competitive series than a five game than what was actually five games. They came back that next season. That's the game that they got eleven games under five hundred by the time they finally turned around. That then they mm-hmm. got the Nurk the Nurk trade, right? And that kind of changed things. They ended up making the playoffs as an eight seed. They can either rest on their laurels and then because they expect because well, we're the Blazers, we got to the Western Conference Finals last year, we can just roll the ball out and win. I, or next, no. or this sweep is going to fuel them the way that the Pelican sweep did, and saying we knew how close we really were, we're going to fight just as hard to be ready right, for it next right. year. Oh, Dexter! <laughs> <laughs> I think he hears Jen. Jen just got home. I think. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens. I'm a little nervous. I'm a little scared. Well, the West is going to get. It's going to get even more tough next season for sure for sure um and we gotta wait for nurk yeah which will be it sucks but i love i just love it might take him two years to get back to this point oh for sure yeah for sure again mental um one thing that neil or neil said and terry said about extending terry Mm -hmm. which i i appreciated i like this model that they're kind of going towards um neil said you know you look at you look at small markets you look at the success in small markets. And what do you see? You see longevity. You see consistency. And he used the examples of Utah Jazz with Sloan mm-hmm. and Spurs with Popovich. And I don't know if that's ultimately what happens with Terry and the Blazers. Yeah. But those teams were great under those coaches. 
and the Spurs have always been in the playoffs because of that coach. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I like that model. I like that idea. I like this the consistency because no matter what, you're always having this coach with with young guys like Anthony Simons learning under Terry who also coached Dame. You know what I mean? Yeah. You keep that consistency of that I I don't know. And and to to see the turnaround from last year to see the the growth and mm-hmm. and understanding of what needed to change change over one season i don't know i just hope that that's the answer i like it just because i like consistency yeah. but um i thought it was an inter- interesting uh, point. that is a really good point i'm glad you brought that up mm-hmm. um yeah i think and, and also it gives legitimacy to the system just in general to mm-hmm. players coming in either via free agency or young kids in the draft mm-hmm. that this is the way we do things right right and then because the elder players have grown up in the system. There's more of a buy-in. There's more of a buy-in. There's right. also more of a um, of an enforcement from the older veterans mm-hmm. who have grown up in the system. They obviously buy into the system because they're still there. Right. Can then also enforce yes. that, that yeah. culture too because that culture has almost been codified in a way yes. instead of having that constant coach turnover, you're mm-hmm. changing culture and stuff like that. So You yeah, see I, that. I think you see that with the Spurs. Mm-hmm. Any guy that goes to the Spurs, they know, like, listen, this is how it is here. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, that's explained at the beginning or understood at the beginning, and I think at Portland you're seeing that mm-hmm. um, the way they talk about unity and how it's like a family and how they work together in a certain way. That narrative has been happening for the last two years, or at least since LA left. Yeah, you know, so it's like, hey, when you come here, we're more than just a basketball just basketball players individually were a team mm-hmm. and they, they kind of foster that. Yeah. I think there's, it's definitely Spurs esque. It's getting to that point. Yeah, yeah. There's still some other things like, so like the Patriots are the same way in the mm-hmm. NFL. Yeah. What makes the Patriots great is also mean that codified culture and you have some of the greatest players. You have the greatest right. player and the greatest coach of all time, but it, you also have the front office's ability to move off of players who are either, who don't who just don't fit that culture mm-hmm. there and it might be unpopular at the time but to save that culture and mm-hmm. to save that locker room are willing to move off of people and take a real business approach to right, player right. acquisitions and player transactions so i don't know if portland's at that spot because mm-hmm. portland is really really especially stots himself is mm-hmm. very loyal to I his guys know, man but if it, it'd be interesting to see what they do with aminu but yeah they, yeah they're yeah, constantly sure. throwing aminu basically against the wall and putting him like just he was just not there for the series no, but no i i know you say terry's loyal but i mean i which he is he is but and like i made this point of like three weeks ago but like so that loyalty is paid off in some in some with some guys yeah so that's why but um also like a, a guy at work was like what do you think about mellow and i was like coming to portland and he's like yeah i said fuck no because he doesn't fit that understanding Mello wants to come in and say, yeah, I'll come, but I'm starting. Well, what if, what if you're not working for us and we need to pull someone else? Mm-hmm. What if we throw Layman in instead of you? He, he'd throw a fit. Yeah. And that's the kind of shit that just doesn't work with no. this team and this culture. No. Nope. Um, also I, one last thing, one last note I want to make about Blazers and then we'll move on is, uh, Turner throwing lobs game four. Mm-hmm. I thought of you the whole time. Because I was like, that ballsy motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. He's not afraid to pull it. No. And he had some dirty ones. Mm-hmm. And he had some botched ones to Myers. But he was throwing them. Yeah. And it was working. Fucking coach Iron Eyes Jake. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What do you have for uh, news? You sent me two articles. Yeah. So I sent you two articles on two different topics. Yeah. Do you want to start with the World Trade Organization or Iran? Ooh, let's, let's start with World Trade. Okay. Yeah. So the World Trade Organization, for those of you who don't know, is a multinational organization that got its start in 1995. It replaced um, the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade, which was the predecessor to this organization, and it that was that was the GATT or you know the General Agreement mm-hmm. on Tariffs and Trade was started. It was a Bretton Woods institution, mm-hmm. so it was. This whole idea of multilateralism and creating a semblance of global governance in different sectors, so like finance with the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, banking with the World Bank Group, security, collective security with the UN, and trade with the World Trade Trade Organization, 
it's all kind of off this premise that by creating this, fostering these and in, these institutions where all countries can come and talk things out mm-hmm. and having a not there's not really any hard law right there's very little right. enforcement mechanisms that can actually be implemented mm-hmm. but it, it what it what they what these institutions hope to do is to be able to have and foster an environment where co- co- which promotes cooperation yeah. versus all these states acting bilaterally to each other because right. it what it does is having this co- this place where people can come talk settle disputes within this framework it what it does is it, pr- it promotes talking essentially mm-hmm. to where you can have the um, so that uncertainty of of intentions mm-hmm. and can get ironed out without having to result to coercion uh you know th- through the threat of force or escalation and trade like in a trade war right. you can come and be like hey this is our problem we don't want to have to use tariffs we're better off cooperating and figuring out a peaceful solution to this dispute that's what the world trade organization is was set up to do when, right. when you have two countries that are and, they, and it's established certain rules to help protect member states, smaller states especially, from bigger states, but then also protect bigger states. Um, there's a vested interest in the United States of being part of the WTO. Um, so that's kind of like the basic ideology behind right. why these multilateral institutions exist. And the World Trade Organization is one of them. And um, the World Trade Organization is probably the most, one of the most effective components of this institution is its dispute resolution process Mm -hmm. and what that does is if so if a state like say the united states Mm -hmm. country has a problem with china and china they feel like china is break is one um going there's a there's a signed battle out bilateral trade agreement between the united states and china Mm -hmm. and they think china is cheating on that deal Mm mm-hmm or they think that China is breaking WTO rules, which is giving them an unfair competitive advantage on the world market. Mm-hmm. The United States can go to the dispute resolution panel and say, this is our problem with China. And the two, China and the United States, according to WTO rules in the dispute resolution panel, the United States, both, both uh, parties would then meet mm-hmm. through arbitration. The, there's a long, like probably about a... It's, it can be almost about a year process to get all the way through this should it get to it. All right. The first step, the mo- the first required step is that both meet through like arbitration. Mm-hmm. So both sides are required to meet each other and talk it out. Right. Interestingly enough, there's only there's only been 300... Since 1995, there's been 360-ish um, disputes brought to the dispute resolution panel only around a third of those actually made it out, actually required to go beyond the arbitration initial process. They settled it. Two thirds were, were able to settle it just by talking to each other. Right. So you can see the value of this institution just in the ability to get these states to come in and talk to each other. Communication is key to, <laughs> to help foster cooperation right. because as we've just talked about in other episodes, co- mm-hmm. you are always better off cooperating than you are fighting. Right. Um, so anyway, the it's not going to get headline news because there's a million other things going oh, on. Yeah. But one of the, for me, yeah, just more than what I'm studying and everything, Nerd. a really <laughs> this has potential major ramifications. For sure. for sure, could really prompt a lot of bad stuff in the future, mm-hmm. and this could definitely be one of the one of these flashpoints for larger, bigger implications going forward. Mm-hmm. And that is that part of the dispute resolution panel, they have a, a system of judge. They have like a mm-hmm. panel of mm-hmm. judges that if a dispute gets out, needs to go past the arbitration process, mm-hmm. it's basically a court. Right. And both sides come and pitch their, you know, pitch their arguments. Mm-hmm. The panel comes to the resolute, comes to their conclusions, um, gives their conclusions to the general assembly and then the suggestions are made. It is key to note that the, the World Trade Organization does not have an enforcing arm. Right. So if, if it does, if it does say, okay, country X is um, is guilty of what country Y said it is. Yeah. Th- they leave it up to country Y to carry out punishment. Right. The WTO doesn't have a mechanism where they can be like, we're going to impose sanctions. Yes. Or they have suggestions of how the punishment could go down, mm-hmm. but they don't actually have like an army right. or something that goes out and punishes country X. Right. So they're basically relying on reason 
and cooperate, basically reason, reasonable cooperation f- to, for these states to govern themselves. Can I say something real quick? Yeah. There's been a few few topics that we've talked about that that have done this, but the the way that you're building this up, right? You're yeah. talking about the importance of communication, the importance of um, of each of a nation to have a give and take, uh, of have a nation to communicate or be willing to whether whether uh, to work with another one or put sanctions on them or whatever. You know, what I mean? yeah. there have been a few topics where you you kind of build this up and you talk about all these things that that are essentially constructed around democracy and communication and working together. Mm-hmm. And every time I know where you're going, <laughs> <laughs> every time I know where you're going and it crushes me because these all sound like great things and they all sound like things that, 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 um, uh, foster peace mm-hmm. globally yeah. and and teamwork mm-hmm. and in a united world um so i just want to i want to preface that <laughs> before we get to where we're going yeah. um, by saying that there there are multiple things internationally there's these institutions that often don't have sanctions or governing or or, or um or any sort of military or way to to officially make things happen but rely on the nations and leaders of the world to properly accept in 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 in, 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 in an acceptable manner handle these things mm-hmm. that's all i wanted to say before we Dude, you should in. go into international relations why <laughs> that was perfectly put oh thank you um that's the basic of of institutionalism yeah. in international relations theory that these institutions do matter and they can they can change the dynamic of the international system right um, realists would argue that they only exist on the margins and it's only the balance of power between the major powers that ultimately matters and that these institutions only exist to um, enhance the uh, the interests of the major powers right. so they would there's a fundamental disagreement with NIR for sure th- about these the function of these institutions and their importance I fall on the institutionalist side of this I do think that there is a mm-hmm. place it's obviously limited to what point do you start to sacrifice national sovereignty right. for this global good there's a lot of questions within that mm-hmm. right but I think on the base level having an area having an environment fostering that because uncertainty is one of the major drivers yes. of um, of war in I mean war could be avoided if just both sides were able to talk it out mm-hmm. and say, "Hey, that's not actually our intentions. Right. You're interpreting our intentions wrongly." Right. It's to, so to prevent preventative war or preemptive mm-hmm. war or stuff like that, just having the ability of the forum to come and talk and be like, "Hey, this is what we see is happening. Mm-hmm. Is this what's happening?" And the other side can say, "No, we're gonna. Sorry, we're gonna we're go, we're going to adjust our behavior right. to fall in line so we can actually we can continue to cooperate with each other." Mm-hmm. It is very reasonable to expect that that kind of environment would help. Right. And I think it does. And I think there is a historical precedent, especially since World War II, when these institutions really became prominent, mm-hmm. that they do work in some capacity. To what capacity is obviously very, very... Um, well, there's a lot of lot smarter people than me mm-hmm. who are who debate right. to what level these work. But and I, I want to say something about that also, is that's important too. This, the school, the different schools of thought on this, whether it's uh, realists or institutionalists, mm-hmm. the fact that there is a conversation helps further develop and, and um, solidify or, or benefit these institutions. Mm-hmm. You need, you can't just have one idea controlling an institution. The fact that there's a debate on how or why this works is always great. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I was just thinking about that while you were talking. Yeah. Sorry. So to get to uh, to get to it now, we've kind of sat. I, th- I don't. Yeah, because I don't think it would have been would have done our listeners justice if we had just gone right into the story. Right. I think I, it was important that we set the stage of the importance, or at least the conceptual framework of an institution like the WTO, right. an international institution. So, okay. So part of the, as part of the WTO dispute resolution panel, these these judges are appointed. 
And the United States having veto power, it's one of the privileges of being a major, being a powerful nation. That's how these institutions incentivize because they need the big powers to be invested. It's the only way they're going to work. It's the reason why the League of Nations failed after World War One. They didn't have big power buy in. Mm -hmm. The United States didn't didn't enter the League of Nations. There wasn't there wasn't enforcement mechanisms. A lot of reason why the LON didn't make didn't make it out. But there's a reason why the WTO and the Bretton and the other Bretton Woods institutions, and especially like well, then also then then the UN have been able to survive for 70 years. And that is because, um, they kind of, they have, there is some sense semblance of legitimacy and you have big power buy-in. So the United States has veto power over certain aspects of the WTO. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the things that the Trump administration is using that veto power for is to block the appointments of judges to Mm -hmm. the dispute resolution panel. Well, the problem is that these judges are, they're not like our Supreme court judges. They're, they're elected for a certain period Mm -hmm. of time. They have terms with term with limits on those terms. The WTO panel needs a minimum of three judges in order for it to operate. If it doesn't op- if it doesn't have that, it completely ceases to exist and the WTO loses its most important mechanism, which is the dispute resolution mechanism, right. which you can just argue the WTO becomes worthless at that point. Right. So, John Bolton, the National Security Advisor is a clear critic. He's he falls like on the most offensive realist side of this debate in terms of the importance of institutions. Hates them, thinks that they they're a waste of money. Um, they have no place in international relations. <laughs> I mean, that's the guy that's advising our president. So you can see where this, the ideologies are who are influencing our president, yeah. where this is coming from. Um, obviously, I have a fundamental disagreement <laughs> with the National Security Advisor on the role of institutions. But uh, the administration is blocking the appointment of of one of the presidents, which is which leaves it one with only... One of the only, pre- judges. Judges, sorry. Yeah. With one of the judges. Yeah. Leaving it only with three currently. Max is Nine. Max is nine. Nine, okay. Yeah, I thought so. Um, and three, there's only three left. Yeah. The point without, with, with the blocking, there's only three currently, mm-hmm. which means that if for some reason one of those three remaining judges have mm-hmm. to step aside because of conflict of interests, right. or they're two of those three's terms expire at the end of this year. Yeah. The Basically, the Trump administration is using his veto power to completely undermine this institution because mm-hmm. they feel like the WTO unfairly treats the United States. Yeah. There's a really good article on Reuters.com. Mm-hmm. It's titled, uh, U.S. Blocks WTO Judge Reappointment as Dispute Settlement Crisis Looms, written by Tom Miles. Um, it's a quick read. Yeah. Uh, very good read if you're looking just to get a quick refresh, like a, just a quick update on what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's worrisome. It's worrisome to me what is going on here uh, because... What's being presented as being unfair to the United States really isn't true. Right. This article points out that um, the United States, they said like, so the administration's complaint is that the United States loses more disputes than it wins. Mm -hmm. But actually, when you crunch the when you look at the numbers, the United States has a favor has a more has the same or more favorable outcomes when through the dispute resolution process Mm -hmm. than. In, than most in other countries. Right. So the United States is ben- is actually getting a benefit from the World Trade Organization. Mm-hmm. And the World Trade Organization is a great multilateral institution in its to get on its side to battle what they say is one of the greatest threats to the United States prominence in, in global and economic security, which is the rise of China. Right. And if you do believe, and there is a legitimate criticism that China's practices are not... Um, within the framework of the with, or do not align with WTO rules, which is true. Mm-hmm. It is, fa- I mean, that's a fair criticism. In the in allowing China to enter the WTO was it was allowed by the Clinton administration, uh-huh. which was an interesting. We don't really need to get into the ideology behind that, but they, um, in China has been allowed to basically because of its most because it was it's been given a certain developing nation tag. It's it's allowed to use. Right, protectionist practices. Yep. Even though one would argue, China's not really a developing nation at this point, right. just because it, it it inflates it inflates its currency, does all of this stuff to give it this global economic power. Mm-hmm. Even though it, but it still likes to it likes a double dip. It likes to be able to use its 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 economic power to influence others, but then wants to say, well, we're still a developing nation because yeah. look at our purchasing power parity. So. Um, that's legitimate criticisms, and the Trump administration is right to point those out. 
but destroying the WTO is not the way yeah. to do it. What what is what do you think? I I feel like there's this consistent theme or or push to show or to play the victim on the international stage from this administration in the United States. Because it plays with the base. The base thinks that the entire world hates the United States because right. we're so great. It's weird. Yeah. Because we're a superpower. We but the, on the on these in these international institutions we're always the victim. Yeah, because the rest of the world is scheming against yeah. us. It's a very realist it's a very realist stance to take on international relations. They think that really ultimately all that matters is power and all other states, regardless of their of the window dressing that they place on their rhetoric, mm-hmm. it's all about the United States is the current world superpower and everybody else is trying to all other states are care about all care at the base level all states care about is survival mm-hmm. therefore if you're not the most powerful you don't have the ability to survive right. in this system so all other states are scheming to become that world superpower mm-hmm. so it's a very skeptical way to look at it, state right. interaction um so when if you you have a national security advisor who believes who has that fundamental ideology that all states are in competition with each other for survival and the mm-hmm. only way to survive is by maximizing your power you can see how this plays out in policy right um so it that I, I think that's where it comes from like yeah. on a conceptual level sure. but i think also we know he's a populist yeah we know that there's a lot of i know from talking with people at the gun counter they believe that the because the UN has all of these disarmament and um, policies where they want to promote um, disarm disarmament on certain levels they have the UN has promoted gun um, gun restriction legislations domestically mm-hmm. in other areas even though the UN and in in its charter says it does it can't get involved in domestic disputes right get in get involved in trying to influence domestic policies they can say we believe that this is good but they, they ultimately are powerless right. to do anything about it but yeah. people do believe that the UN is trying to come in and take American guns there is a there is a, like a fundamental belief that the UN is trying to take America's guns with their army yeah with with their peace <laughs> with their peacekeeping force like which is fun which the peacekeeping force is a conglomerate of different nations yeah. putting their militaries into this peacekeeping force, which yeah. the mission of the peacekeeping force, if you know anything about the UN, has, cannot go in and inf- like... Wow. It, it's just, it, it's rooted in ignorance yeah. about what these institutions are and their capabilities For and sure. what they're even set up to be. 100%. But that that ignorance is, is propagated and exploited by this administration mm-hmm. to paint a certain worldview Absolutely. that I would argue is is not rooted in reality. Right, right. Yeah. You have any takes on the whole WTO situation? No. I just, I'm, kind of what I've said is I just noticed that there's this, this narrative that we're the victims and poor us and it's, I think it's detrimental. Um, I think, to you know, again, the argument can be made to what extent is the importance of these institutions or, or the role that they play, but I think that they... If you're going to promote and facilitate a place to have a conversation before leading to anything else, I don't see how that's detrimental. No, I don't either. And into that, and that that's the 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 basic function that they are, that they offer. Right. Yes, there's still a value to Absolutely. them. Absolutely, I agree. And I think the the dues that the United States pays per year to the UN is mm-hmm. something like ten billion dollars. Right. It's really. If you think of like we're all we're spending all this money on funding these institutions, if you think about the amount of money it would cost if the United States had to operate by like bilaterally yeah. with every single nation in this world mm-hmm. in having to worry about and inf- like trying to enforce rule breaking and different things right. instead of being able to turn to uh, an institution like the WTO right. over trade or UN over security or the IMF over finance, think about how much that would cost to having to maintain a bilateral agreement with every single nation in the United States. When you're, if you also, if your goal is to maintain world supremacy, yeah, which is the contradictory nature of a lot of Trump supporters is they want the United States to be this unquestioned superpower, mm-hmm. but then they don't want to in any way pay the costs associated with it. They right. want to completely, we don't want to have to pay anything. We don't want to be part of these institutions. We want to be, we want to be the United States unquestioned leader, mm-hmm. but then don't understand how it is that we got there. Right. What does that role of leader come with? It comes with that responsibility, 
But it's like they want the title, but without the responsibility or um, obligation to mm-hmm. anything else. Yeah. <laughs> Dope. MAGA. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Tell me about the war we're getting into. So um, <laughs> I might have been hyper. I, I know you were. You're so silly. I might have been hyper hyperbole yeah, to say that we're going yeah. to war. but Because I, I was dude, doing the, some reading and I'm like, I, I don't. I don't know if this is going to happen. You're like, it's war. <laughs> Paralleling it with the run up to Iraq. Yeah. You can see where there are some parallels. Or concerns for sure. The mech, the wheels of war are turning. Yes. Within the administration. How that manifests. Right. We'll see. And we've talked about how once those wheels start turning, if they get to a certain speed, it's hard to stop. So there's concern. Yeah. Because any turn towards war is a little fr- frustrating, but concerning. Mm-hmm. So there's a, um, if you've been paying attention to politics, yeah. there has been increasingly an amount of like elevated rhetoric towards the Islamic Republic of Iran. Mm-hmm. Um, it start the the president has. From his, from the even in his candidacy for the Republican nomination, has been highly critical of Iran. Mm-hmm. Uh, has said that the JCPOA, which is the Iran nuclear deal, um, was the the worst deal anybody has ever signed in in the history of deal making. Um, has claimed unfoundedly since he's taken office that the Iran is cheating on that deal mm-hmm. even though the jcpoa which was a joint um a joint agreement between the like the un had broke helped broker this mm-hmm. this deal between france russia the united states iran and some others and some other major powers great britain uh germany and to help to try to curb iran's seeking seeking for a for a nuclear missile mm-hmm. and the united states the trump administration claims that the the along with the israelis that iran is cheating on this deal even though the even though the um the compliance mechanisms put in place which are carried out by a un subcommittee mm-hmm. claims through their own through, they have access to iran's nuclear facilities mm-hmm. um to make sure that they they don't have centrifuges and the stuff that are that's necessary to make a bomb i don't know the inner workings of how to make a nuclear bomb but i can tell i do know that there are surveillance mechanisms to make sure that they are not seeking to build a nuclear weapon okay. and f- since it, since it was signed there has been c- complete compliance on behalf of the iran okay. according to the jcpoa um compliance like committee okay so it's in, so the United States and the UN are in complete contrast Uh-oh. on how they see Iran's. Um, that does sound familiar. <laughs> and how they see Iran's yeah. capabilities yeah. and whether they're cheating or not or whatever with weapons of mass destruction. Right. The. So that's why the so when Rex Tillerson because when the JCPOA was set up, um, compliance as far as the United States was concerned with this. The was determined by the Secretary of State. That power was given to the Secretary of State. It was mm-hmm. his job and his then the diplomatic corps to determine compliance. And it would be up to the Secretary of State to be able to take the United States out of that mm-hmm. agreement. Mm-hmm. The reason why they set it up like that is because they knew that though administrations change, generally the like the the, the diplom the, the bureaucracy stays a lot more consistent. Right. Than the president, the, the president would yeah in general okay so they they wanted to keep it within the within the bureaucracy so there's more consistency there so you don't have constant changes in ideolo- ideology yeah that at a whim a president can just tear it up mm-hmm. well when Rex Tillerson refused to give the president compliant the com- compliance approval mm-hmm. he fired Rex Tillerson yeah and Trump took Mike Pompeo then seated the um, the ability to approve compliance mm-hmm. to the JCPOA on, on on behalf of the United States ceded it to President Trump, who then mm-hmm. promptly pulled the United States out. Right. So now um, the JCPOA is still operating. So Iran is still in um, agreement with the other powers that signed this joint mm-hmm. declaration. 
But the United States just isn't a part of it. The United States has threatened to sanction um, any uh, sanction and through tariffs any any state that still trades with Iran. Whoa! Um, they're trying to replace embargoes back on Iran, completely cut off Iran from the rest of the world, and choke out its regime, hoping that they can they can instill regime. Ultimately, the goal, in my opinion, is yeah. to is to create regime change in Iran. Mm-hmm. To what end? We don't we don't really know. Right. But it. It's scary because we're ramping up tensions. We moved a we moved a, uh, a uh, an air force carrier mm-hmm. um, off of the off the Persian Gulf, positioning it in a striking in a striking position mm-hmm. to hit Iran. Um, there has Jeez. been lots of maneuvering about the United States moving its forces, trying to relocate back in, um, relocate its forces back centralized into the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And it's all being done by two guys who are John Bolton being one of them and Mike Pompeo being the other, mm-hmm. who are very much in favor of regime change at any cost, especially when it comes to Iran. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my, that's kind of my, that's outlining the situation right. that's happening right now. Do we, are we going to use force? Mm-hmm. I think they're trying to goat Iran into doing something because into doing something reckless yes. that then gives a pretext for the United States to use force. Right. Hmm. If you want to read more on this, there's an article yeah, on foreign yeah, policy yeah. by Stephen Walt. Um, he is fundamentally a realist mm-hmm. in terms of IR. He's a Harvard professor. What's IR, Jake? International relations. I know. Okay. Um, it's called, If Nobody Knows Your Foreign Policy, Your Iran Policy, Does It Even Exist? Right. It's written by Stephen M. Walt. Right. Um, he lays out four uh, options mm-hmm. for the administration, what he thinks are, like, what are, the, because they haven't explicitly stated what their, what their stance is on Iran, so he, he's theorizing what their four options might be. And one is that... Real quick, right there. Can I stop you for a second? Yeah. Um, they haven't really explicitly said what their stance is. Mm-hmm. I tagged you in a comment section on Facebook the other day regarding the Iran deal. <laughs> I read three and then left. Everybody is speaking on behalf or in terms as if they know the situation. Mm-hmm. But how can you know when the administration hasn't clarified where they stand? You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I get what you're saying. Idiots. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I'm slightly guilty of that too. What do you mean? Well, saying that we're going to go to war with oh, Iran and I don't right, really right, know right. what the intentions yeah, yeah, yeah. are. Well, for sure. But you're speculating from an educated point of view and being knowledgeable of history. Yeah. Which doesn't make you right, but I'm just saying in this broad idea, nobody knows where we are yet mm-hmm. or, or where we stand yet. Um, but people will fight you on Facebook to defend where we are, not knowing where we are. <laughs> Fair enough. You know? Yeah. Um, I saw one comment that said, thank you. Thank God we finally have a president that stands up for the United, for the United States. So it's like, well, we're going to send in more American, more American kids mm-hmm. when we already have a massive, we have a, we have a bill we cannot pay to help our veterans from this right. last war. And we're going to add another couple hundred thousand to that VA list that right. we, we can't keep up with. Right. 20, 22 veterans a day commit suicide in this country. We're going to add more to that list. Mm-hmm. For what? A, a, a security issue that we can't even fully explain? Right. In what way does Iran threaten the sovereignty of the United States? Honestly. Honestly. What are, in, the, what are the points of the article? So the option, <laughs> option one, uh-huh. uh, that is just theater. Um, oh, okay. The um, the assumption assumes that the administration is under no illusion that it's going to work this at this time. They don't think that they're they're posturing and his voice for his nature mm-hmm. and the the tweet that if the, if Iran ever threatens the United States again, it'll be the end of Iran. Right. He just knows, but trying to create chaos right. is a way for him. It's a negotiating tactic for yes. him. Um, 
that's a really dangerous game to play on the international on the international stage. Yes. Yes, that works when you're trying to broker a business deal yes. in New York when you have a government with infor- with like actual enforcing mechanisms yes. that can protect both a sides. Governing body a gover- over. There's no governing body at the international right. relations. The most we have are institutions that he's already defunding and trying to yep. trash anyway. So Undermine any entirely any sense of <laughs> of governance that that is at the international level at the international level he's trying to undermine and destroy. And now he's trying to play word games yeah. and play chicken with sovereign nations. Yeah. It's ballsy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Because you can't make a sovereign nation do anything. Nope. You just, you other than with, other than through coercion, which that's the next point, pressure Iran to sign a new deal. Mm-hmm. Other than trying to use coercion, which is not going to be possible because you've subsequently pissed off every other country that was needed to force Iran to the negotiating yep. table last year. You had to pool together the biggest militaries of the world to force Iran to the negotiating table. Yeah. Now you're trying to go that alone while the other countries are still un- are still in the same agreement that you left? Yeah. Don't you think that the the better way to go if you think that the administration left some in- important um, important pieces out to that deal was to try to renegotiate the, renegotiate the deal within the deal? Right. Because there's a lot of hardline con- hardliners in Iran who who are now emboldened because they said they said originally one of the biggest hurdles to cross for the the JC, JCPOA to be signed by Iran was that the moderates had to prevail over hardliners which under an Islam, a theocracy is incredibly difficult mm-hmm. who said and the United States cannot be trusted because of XYZ whatever like mm-hmm. their word cannot be trusted they're only power interested now you have the United States pulling out of that unilaterally now trying to re-coerce a deal that was only signed a couple years ago right. they're emboldened saying see we told you we, we told yeah. the, we told you moderates that the United States can't be trusted they're going to try to come for Yikes. more so why would we ever want to sign another deal with you because you're just going to renege and try to get more out of us yeah. it's, it's the it's the give a mouse a cookie analogy yeah whoa the United States the, obviously that's administ- an excellent point why why what what rationality would Iran be operating under if they just like, okay, United States, we'll sign a new deal yeah. that we fully, they don't have no reason to believe that we would have any, re, that we would, we wouldn't renege on those agreements yeah. again. Ooh. That's not to say that there aren't things right, that right. that left out. Iran has fought proxy, is fighting proxy wars throughout the Middle East with mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia. It's funding terrorist groups like Hezbollah, the Houthis in Yemen. Um, there are legitimate concerns, things that, Iran needs to be addressed on, right. but pulling out of that that deal that that offers you a framework in which to try to work with Iran. Right. Not, anyway. If we're if we're the this this face of democracy, and we pull out of the not the only but a democratic agreement mm-hmm. with the country, yeah, and then. We're going to try to, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're completely pulling out of a democratic agreement with a country that, I I don't know. I don't know. Go ahead. So, so, (laughs) we'll just move on to the third option because option option number two just doesn't really seem plausible. Okay. If if, if option two is what they're going for, they've completely undermined themselves, which is why I don't think option two... The first two options are the options without war. Yeah. Um, And those, those just don't seem plausible. In in context with their other actions, right? Option number three is regime change. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're hoping by choking out Iran economically by creating yeah. conditions within Iran, that's making terrible. it so bad that the people overthrow that the government. That is terrible. You're one. You're banking on conditions getting that worse and yeah. government giving a power. How well is that working in Venezuela? Yeah. You completely choked out Venezuela, but the Maduro regime is still there and. and and uh, Maduro is still fat as hell. So he's uh, the sanctions obviously aren't yeah. keeping him from eating. Right. Um, it's just his people. So you're creating a mass amount of suffering who are then going to... So even if they do overthrow the regime, the people who've overthrown the regime are going to look at who is the main cause of our suffering, the United States, and right. why would that new government want to work with you? Right. All they saw as you is that imperial meddler mm-hmm. who used their force and coercion to cause mass amount of suffering at the ground yeah. level trying to accomplish your vision of foreign policy. Right. That's not a way to foster cooperation, to foster no. cooperation and get your your end goal. Right. So what is what is toppling a, a an autocratic government give you if the replacement isn't going to trust you anyway? Right. 
So anyway, Yikes. that's option three. Okay. And option four is create a pretext for, for, pre- for, for, for preventative war. And that's the first, that's what I talked about earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's trying to goat yeah. um, Iran into leaving the nuclear non-proliferation agreement. Mm-hmm. If, there, if I'm going to give credence to the Bolton side of this argument is that why should we trust the... Um, the Iranian government to maintain its agreement with the JCPOA is because it's also any nation that enters the UN has to sign the nuclear non-proliferation agreement. Mm -hmm. So when Iran entered um, the, when Iran entered the UN, it signed the nuclear non-proliferation agreement, which means that if you, if you are a nation who does not currently have nuclear weapons, you cannot pursue them. And then also Um. if you are a nation that has nuclear weapons, you cannot give that technology to a country that does not have them. Hmm. Crazy. So, there's two points to this yeah. preemptive war thing. They're trying. I th- it would be to try to goat them into leaving the nuclear nonproliferation agreement, which would then show that they want to pursue nuclear weapons, which would right. be a pretext for war. Right. Or they're trying to get them to do something militarily, or to, mm-hmm. to, to do something that would prompt they could give them the pretext to sell to the American people that we have to go to war to protect ourselves. Yikes! Um, so that's 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 one yeah. big that's that that is a big I mean that's a big it's <laughs> a big question right. and scary to uh, to think about. Yeah. There's also another point um, I wanted to bring up is um, is that what. At this point, we're through our own, I don't know, through our own uncertainty mm-hmm. about what Iran's ten, you know, intentions are yeah. and vice versa, we're basically making a case that all st- nations that don't currently have nuclear weapons uh-huh. need to get them. Right. Because look at how we deal with North Korea. Mm-hmm. They have nuclear weapons. Kim Jong-un doesn't get fucked with. Yeah. Iran doesn't have nuclear weapons and constantly gets fucked with. Oh, so if you're a, if you're a nation sitting there and you feel like you're kind of marginalized within the world system because you're not a great power and you're maybe not a democracy, yeah. why would you not? It was in your best your self interest for survival mm-hmm. to pursue nuclear capability to keep yourself your sovereignty from getting constantly violated by right. superpowers. Whoa! You look at Muammar Gaddafi in Libya. He mm-hmm. had weapons of mass destruction. He was he gave them up to keep invasion from happening. Right. And then he was toppled over by the same people he agreed to not. So later on in 2011, when we when we helped topple the Qaddafi government in Libya, we signed, we made him give up his weapons of mass destruction and then toppled his regime like a decade later. Right. That's a warning sign to anybody looking to get rid of nuclear capability like North Korea. Why would North Korea believe that if they gave up their nuclear capability, we wouldn't then just come in and, and, and change out the regime because that's their only protection from getting messed with. Just think of, right, looking at it right. from a North Korea's perspective or Iran's perspective, that's how you're going to think, right? Absolutely. If you're if you're worried about the survival of your government or survival of you in power, you see nuclear weapons as the only way you can actually maintain that, as For the sure. only trump card that you have when you have an asymmetrical relationship with the United States. Yeah. I'm just. I'm not. I'm not arguing on the behalf no, no, of Iran. No, but I'm just you're saying arguing that that idea, that thought, yeah, coming from them, yeah. And I think that's a great argument because I think a lot of times things can get so lost in international relations, and and it's so hard to relate to because it's on such a a global scale. Um, but when you put it in that context, and when you put it in that way, anybody, I hope anybody listening can say, well, yeah. Why wouldn't I have those things to protect myself if through examples we've seen as soon as they got rid of them, they got messed with? Mm-hmm. So hmm. the nuclear non-proliferation treaty has worked fairly well for, for nations like Japan who don't, who've, right, who right. haven't, who've relied on the United States for security mm-hmm. because that's what the UN, the UN, the UN gives reassurances that the UN would come to help protect your sovereignty should it be violated. Mm-hmm. So states, you know, different nations, if they start to see the United States' investment start to leave and they don't, they have to start fearing for their own security, why would they not search for different ways for the, to protect their own survival right. if, if they can't rely on the bigger powers to do so? Right. Now you just you end up with an isolated world like you did prior mm-hmm. to World War II where uncertainty and anarchy reign Yikes. and all it takes is for some archduke to get killed by some Bolsheviks mm-hmm. in... Um, and you spark World War One, right, right? 
I mean, this whole this whole system was was spawned out of the necessity to find something that keeps wars from happening. Right. That's that is the fundamental goal of these institutions. Mm-hmm. So the undermining them by this administration, mm-hmm. I have to ask myself, like, what is their point? Mm-hmm. Like, they're literally shooting themselves in the foot because what's more expensive, the United States fighting a war or sending a $10 billion budget to the UN every year? Right. Because we've had 70 years. It's the greatest period of peace in the history of humanity mm-hmm. between the world powers. We, the world powers have not fought each other for the longest period of time in the history of human civilization. And it's it's not coincidentally it's I mean, it's not coincidence that that period of peace started when these institutions became right created at right. the end of World War Two. Absolutely. So on that note, <laughs> on that note, uh, thanks for listening. Yeah. Um, I do want to make one note real quick. I hope this is okay. Um, I both of us, Jake and I, both know that there's a lot going on um, regarding women's health and women's rights right now, mm-hmm. um, and it's not that. You know, it's not that we don't care or we haven't considered it or had conversations off mic about this. Um, But one conversation we did have is is we don't feel like it's our place to talk on subjects that, you know, you have men dictating all of this. So if there are any we have 16 percent women listeners. So (laughs) if any of you. 16% 16% out there want to come and you have an opinion you want to have I think it would just be more conducive to the conversation to have a woman representing either either side it, regardless of what side you you fall on mm-hmm. I think it, it would be great to have you this is a place for you we want it to be a place for everyone to kind of have those discussions yeah so um, don't think that we're avoiding these topics on purpose we just this is me now telling you all, like, if you if you want to have a conversation about it or you want this conversation had, um, please come join us and have those conversations. And maybe educate us on some things that maybe we don't know, but we don't want to we don't want to be the representative of something that we don't feel like we should be. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I hundred percent agree. Okay, so I hope that came across right. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's yeah, not, it's not us trying to cop out or yes. whatever, and we want to advocate for people who feel like they're losing their rights right right and absolutely. but we want to do it in a way that doesn't <laughs> doesn't sound like we don't know i mansplaining mansplaining yeah so yeah yeah so We're, we we want to defer our platform to somebody who absolutely has, um the better has who's better to talk about it absolutely um with that said thank you as always for listening um and we'll see you guys next week bye bye Say what you mean.